I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 129 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Executive Breakthrough, an interview with Michelle Foley. Now, as you know, the format of the No Bullshit Leadership podcast is normally just me talking about issues that leaders tend to find difficult and offering my practical advice for how to approach them, based on my long career as a corporate executive and CEO. Very occasionally, we throw in a Q&A episode where Emma, my co-founder and podcast producer, joins me to talk through some of the common questions that we receive from our listeners. And even less frequently, we've given you access to a client mentoring session that we think is particularly relevant or insightful. Point being, this is not an interview podcast, as the vast majority of podcasts tend to be. Well, today, 
After 128 weekly episodes of not conducting interviews, this week we launch our first one. And what a cracker it is. We recorded this interview for our No Bullshit Leadership Live virtual event, which we held last week. And we ran this to celebrate reaching our 1 million download milestone for the podcast last year. Now, although we won't be replaying the event, we thought this interview was too good to miss. So today, we're bringing you the interview with Michelle Foley, Chief Customer Officer at The Arnott's Group. Now, for those of you who don't know, Arnott's is an iconic Australian brand in the fast-moving consumer goods industry. In this episode, I interview Michelle to discuss her relatively recent elevation to the top team at Arnott's and how she's handled the dynamics of a new and demanding executive role while coping with the change in the company's ownership. It's a great interview, so let's get into it. Welcome, Michelle Foley. Now, I want to introduce you properly before we get too far into it. After a successful career as a sales and brand marketing specialist, Michelle's relatively new at the executive ranks at fast-moving consumer goods business, the Arnott's Group. Uh, She was appointed as Chief Customer Officer earlier in 2020. Now, a recent change in ownership has seen the business transition from being part of the Campbell Soup conglomerate to a freestanding business now called the Arnott's Group. And Michelle's been with Arnott's for over 17 years now and knows the company intimately. The iconic 155-year-old Aussie brand that brings us Tim Tam Cookies and Jats Crackers is now going through some change, and Michelle's one of the key executives who's going to guide the company through its next phase. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Marty. I'm really thrilled to be here talking to you this afternoon. Yeah, no, so so great to have you on, and I'm sure that uh, people who are watching this are going to take a huge amount from your experience. So why don't we kick off with an easy one, right? Mm-hmm. You've been on the executive team now for about a year, uh, and, and what a year to step up to the executive ranks, might I say. Um, but from our conversations, I think that you fit the executive role like a glove and you've transitioned exceptionally well. So my first question is basically, is your perspective on the business now, a business that you know super well, any different now that you have the benefit of viewing it from the executive table? And if so, how? For me, it's as much moving into an executive role, Marty, as it is the change that our business has been on. So it's been a combination of not just stepping up into an existing executive role in a business that's business as usual. It's been stepping up into an executive role that's a new business under new ownership and you throw COVID on top of that. So the transition has been much different to maybe what I anticipated. But yeah, my my perspective on the business is very different to, to roles that I've had before. And for me, it comes down to having a real enterprise-wide mindset. And I think, you know, you come to an executive level representing a function, and and in this instance, I'm representing the sales team, but a seat at the executive table is so much more than the function that you represent, and I think that's really important. And as a collective, you know, we're setting the strategy of the business, we're giving our people direction, and we need to show up as one collective voice back to our people. And for me, that's been probably the biggest difference from any roles that I've been before. Uh, and collectively being able to solve problems and to get through the challenges of COVID-19 is being a real demonstration of leaders at that level working together, not just in the silo of the technical skills that they have. And I've really enjoyed that. It's been challenging, but I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, and that's that's a really great way to look at it because you've got those two hats that you wear. One's the executive hat for your portfolio, and then there's part of the executive team that drives the company forward. 
So were there any parts of that that you were psyched out on? So, for example, um, I know people transition from uh, finance roles into a CFO role, and because they don't actually understand marketing or legal or some other things, those areas are areas they prefer not to tread and just stick in the numbers. Was there anywhere that you sort of feared to tread in that transition when you're talking about being a broad company executive? Uh, for me, not really, more because having been with this business, as you say, for 17 years, although I've only worked in the sales and the marketing functions, in our business, we're a very cross-functional organisation. and right. You know, that's one of the benefits that we have. You do have to have a broader business mindset. And yes, you're focused on your lane, and that lane for me has been mostly marketing and sales, but you certainly have a, a much bigger perspective. And I think having a local team where we all work together, we sit in a room together, we brush things out, you really have no choice but to work that way. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you sort of, uh, you sort of, you know, ordeal by fire, right? You sink or swim. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> so, so obviously going through the change of ownership was very, very significant. It's significant in the life of uh, any company. Uh, mm. I've been to it a couple of times myself. It can be enormous fun, but... Now that you're private equity owned, it comes with some sort of reputation around PE, um, mm. although that's changed quite a bit in the last five to ten years. But given the, the change in ownership from what was a very stable privately owned um, arrangement through Campbell's Soup, what was the um, feeling in the organisation in the lead up to the buyout and how did you keep your team focused and uh, calm? And I know you've got that thing in the background, keep calm and eat a Tim Tam, which I love. Uh, but uh, but how did you keep your team calm during that time? Because you can have a lot of uncertainty and doubt in those periods of ambiguity. When Campbell's announced in August 2018 that they were divesting the Arnott's business, I don't think any of us thought that it would be as long a journey as it actually was. Uh, and the sale to KKR didn't close until December 2019. So we're just about one year into our new ownership. But that 18-month window, if you think about it, Marty, it crosses two financial years. Yeah. You still have your business commitments that you need to deliver. Um, you still have people that you need to manage and plans that you need to make and you just can't take your eye off the ball. So for us at the time, our executive team divided us up into two groups. We had people that were involved in selling the business and then we had people that were involved in running the business. And that distinction is pretty much what ensured that our people were able to remain calm and focused, as you say, and there were moments where we actually forgot we were up for sale. Um, yes. We would just right. get on with it. And, and you're able to give your people the space. I do think, though, closer to the time of actually being sold and, you know, the speculation in the media um, around who's buying Arnott and mm. what's happening, it, it was probably at that time that our employees got a little bit more anxious as to what was happening. And I think for us it was just about communicating to our teams and being right. transparent with them. And, you know, sometimes you just have to say to people, I have no news to tell you, there is no update. And just telling them that and yeah. being transparent about not being able to be transparent, people had a lot of respect for that. And I think that really helped our employees stay focused. Yeah, that's, that's so true, isn't it? Because um, uh, people hate uncertainty much more than they hate bad news. So if you can keep the uncertainty at bay, it's it's very valuable. But now that you've had uh, the new owners in there for about 12 months and the dust settled on the transaction, so people have sort of got those fears of the ambiguity and change out of the way, what's the biggest difference you've noticed in the business under new ownership? Uh, I've referred to this many times, Marty. It feels like we've moved out of home. And when we worked for Campbell's, you know, 
you have the support of your parents, um, you had food on the table. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it was a little bit constraining. And now we we actually stand on our own, and that's the biggest difference. And you you feel the uh, autonomy and you feel the empowerment that comes with that, but you also feel the accountability. And yeah, absolutely. We're now responsible for the culture, and one thing that I love about it, and we're really fortunate to have, is there's no more templates for us to follow from our parent company. Right. We actually get to create the future of this iconic business and. We have blank sheets of paper and we've written strategies and created the culture that we want and our new values and what we stand for. And the main difference is that that's all in our hands and, and that's a really different way of operating. Right. And that, I'd imagine, is very energising for you people to have that level of uh, control over the future. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we work on a brand that actually is Australian's brand and has been for 155 years. So... You're working on brands that people love, that they own, and we're the custodians of. And yeah. the fact that we know that we can have a really big impact in defining what those brands mean for Australians and um, New Zealanders into the future is pretty remarkable. And we're really fortunate that we have that autonomy. Oh, that, absolutely. And I've got to say, whenever we travel to the US to visit friends and family, we always have a separate suitcase full of Tim Tams, right? So. Just, oh, you know, it is when you, when you say iconic, like the legend travels far and wide beyond the shores of Australia, which is great. Um, now, one of the thing, one of the things that strikes me about your view of leadership from our conversations is that you speak in fairly glowing terms about a number of leaders you previously worked for, and this is like, trust me, this is not the norm, right, Michelle? I know um, you tell me this all the time, Marty. I know. So you're either like super lucky or super optimistic. Um, but then when you talk about your current CEO and how he approaches leadership, like he's clearly the real deal. So from your perspective, what makes a really good leader and what style of leader do you work best with? For me, uh, a great leader is a great learner, and I've always said that, and I think you have to continuously build your leadership skills. And I often say to my team and people I've developed in this organisation that you can get so hell-bent focused on building your technical skills in whatever area it is that you want to progress in, but often people forget about the leadership component to it and think when you say great leaders are rare, I really think that's why. Um, so for me, there's a few qualities that would make a great leader and the first one, and, and this is something really the way I operate, is integrity and authenticity. And it may sound cliche, but essentially, if you don't bring your true self to work every day and you fabricate who you are, the business is not going to get the best out of you and you're not going to give your best to the business. So I always say great leaders have to be authentic. Um, I think for me as well, great leaders are able to create the space for their teams to shine. And I know you talk a lot about, Marty, not dipping down too much, not getting involved in the knitting of your team, which I totally agree with and you have to have that space for your team but in that you have to be able to set the direction set the expectations and touch them so that they give their best and then lastly I would say and, and one of our values and what we stand for here at the Arnest Group uh, is balancing decisions from our head and our heart and that really for me resonates as what takes it uh, makes it to be a great leader and you're often in modes of making decisions in business that you can forget about the empathy that you might need or, you know, the way that you might want to have a conversation with someone or the words that you may choose. 
to really balance really well any decisions that you make, both rationally and having that empathy. And for me, those two things together make great leadership. Some fantastic points there, Michelle. Um, and like I said, that's why you fit the executive role like a glove, right? Okay. Uh, that, that concept of empathy, we have um, a lot of people feeling as though if they are too empathetic, then they aren't being strong or diligent enough with their people. Um, my view is you need to have as much empathy as you can possibly handle and load up. The more you have, the better. There is never a limit to how much empathy you can have, mm-hmm. but you've got to be strong enough to keep that in check and do the right thing, as you say, the combination of, you know, head, heart and gut in your mm. decision-making and your leadership style, which uh, which goes a really long way, right? There's a very yeah. big difference between empathy and sympathy. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you get into the sympathy piece, and I'll do a podcast episode on this one day, you'll end up um, pushing into a space where you can't make the right decisions because your sympathy for a person overrides your sense, right? And we don't want that to happen. So the way you've articulated that is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I think, Marty... I often, instead of using the word empathy, which sometimes people misconstrue for sympathy, I talk about it as standing in the shoes of the other person. Beautiful. Standing in their shoes and what is it that they might be thinking and how would I react to that? So uh, I hear a lot about the empathy, sympathy thing, but standing in their shoes is really what it takes. Absolutely. And, And once you learn to stand in people's shoes, it makes you better at almost everything you do as a leader. Right. How much better a negotiator are you when you're in the other person's shoes? So, oh, for sure, for yeah, sure. That's fantastic. Hey guys, Em here. I hope you're loving this interview with Michelle so far. She truly is a no bullshit leader. Now, one thing that you probably didn't know about Michelle is that she was part of our September 2020 cohort of Leadership Beyond the Theory. One of my favorite pieces of feedback that we got from Michelle after she completed the program was this. Leadership Beyond the Theory sets a framework for any leader at any level. This program helped me to sharpen my leadership skills in a practical, engaging and impactful way. If you resonate with Michelle as you listen to this interview and you're looking to sharpen your leadership skills and improve your confidence at the executive level, there's a really good chance that Leadership Beyond the Theory is going to be exactly what you need to get to the next level in your leadership career. It's going to give you an edge. The March 2021 cohort is now open for enrollment and we've got just over a week to go until we close doors. So head to yourceomentor.com forward slash program and join this incredible cohort of no bullshit leaders. All right, back to the episode. We've spoken about the payback from leadership and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know you love it when you see your people shine, when you bring them through. And for me, that's the payback for all the other shit you have to do as a leader. So how do you strike the balance between being supportive and being a a cheerleader for your people, um, but also setting strong expectations and uncompromising standards that actually drive them to perform in a high-performing way? Mm. I do love to see my people shine, Marty, and I have used that expression and I always will, and that for me is one of the best parts of the job that I have to do. And I think when you've worked for an organisation for 17 years, I've really been able to play a key role in developing some of our top talent within the business. And moving into this role about six months ago, um, running the sales team, uh, one of the first jobs that I I wanted to do was really get in early and set the expectations with my own leadership team. And I think if you get in early and do that, if you're in a new role, then that makes all the difference. And for me, you know, we sat down and we spoke about, what do we want our team to stand for? 
what are my expectations of them, but equally what are their expectations of me and what legacy do we want to leave for this business in a few years' time. So I think once you've laid those foundations, it's so much easier to balance the support that you can give your team with the expectations that you've set. And, you know, then you use the framework, and I love your framework of challenging, coaching and confronting. Sure, yeah. Conduct for those discussions and people know where they stand. And I love this phrase um, from Brene Brown, which is being clear to people is kind, but being unclear is unkind. And I always want to bring that clarity to my people, but I will always support them on their leadership journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're spot on. And um, the one I love is that um, if people trust and respect you, there is absolutely nothing you can't say to them. Exactly. Which, which is such such an important thing to get your head around as a leader, um, but to do it in a respectful, uh, empathetic and compassionate way, which is, you know, how you get people aligned and trusting you, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, we can't overlook the challenge of being a working mother. So I do want to raise this. You've got two children who are sort of getting towards high school age now. And when I talk about focus on family and other non-work priorities, I like to remind people that a career unfolds over 30 years and not two years. And this is a very important concept because we can feel as though we're sort of being held back by other things in our lives at certain points in time. Now, having reached senior executive level in a significant business on your own merits, how do you feel when you look back on the stage of your life where you were juggling small children and what impact do you think it ultimately had on your career, if any? Oh, I love uh, the phrase that a career unfolds over 30 years, not two years, Mark. You know, if someone told me that when I was a young manager in my early 20s, <laughs> But I'm so glad that I know that now. Um, Honestly, I I think it's a challenge for everyone. I think it's a challenge if you're a mum or a dad, um, if you've got young kids or if you've got older kids. It it never changes and it's always with you. And for me, I often and at times I can still feel guilty about getting that balance right. And you just have to focus on what matters most. And when I come to work, I really try and be in work mode and I am and I give my best here every day. And my kids know that my career is a big part of my life and really important to me. But equally, they know that when I come home at the end of the day, I'm there to hang out with them. And by being able to distinguish those two things and, you know, often the transition that I need to take while I'm driving home to go from work mode to home mode is a really important one because I want to be able to show them that, you can have a career, you can be a working mum or a working dad and you can still give your best and get your best out of other people. Uh, so it's not easy. I still have days where it's challenging, but you really, I always say to my team, you have to let the guilt go and you want a career and you are focused on your career, go after it. Um, you just have to be able to. And I think you've told this to me, you've, you've mentioned this to me before, Marty, around Really, you're constantly trying to get that balance right. And I think if you think that there's a moment where everything's going to be in equilibrium, that's just not going to happen. It's pretend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very, very tough to achieve. And I think um, that whole concept people forget about is the positive effect of the role modelling you're doing as, you know, a high-powered executive who can actually be functioning in the family, functioning with your friends, in social environments, exercising, and you're still kicking ass, right, in a, in a corporate scene. So that's a fantastic role modelling for anyone to grow up around, which is brilliant. Yeah, it is. And I think 
you know, coming from a family where my parents had their own businesses, yeah. I only ever knew that mum and dad were working, but never once did I think that they weren't supporting me in my journey. And I think yeah. it's really important that we don't be too hard on ourselves. We strive for what we want. Uh, but equally, you know, you make a choice and, and you have your family and that's a really important part of your life as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and be kind to yourself is such an important concept. You know, we're, we're all so critical of ourselves and being kind when you're doing so much and fitting so much in and surviving is mm -hmm. really, really important. Um, let's just shift gears a little bit. Um, COVID's been tricky for all businesses, but mm -hmm. I suspect it's been more of a boon for Arnott's than anything else, given the products you deliver are you know, virtually staples in many households. Mm -hmm. Have you done anything as a company at the strategic level, to the extent you can tell me, of course, um, to take advantage of the current situation. When I say take advantage, I don't mean taking advantage of your customers. I mean taking advantage of the competitive environment and your positioning in there because you're such an iconic brand. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, yes, we are a really fortunate business uh, in that Australians love our business. And, Marty, I know that you love Tim Tan. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love the fact that during COVID, we sold, uh, in this last year, we sold an additional 4 million packets of tin cans. I'm sure that you would believe me because oh, totally. one of our average consumers, and that's pretty incredible. Um, and the reason I say that is that shoppers flock to brands that they trust and brands that they know. And when you have brands that are 155 years old and you're in the midst of a pandemic, people just kind of want to hold on to that. So a part of that, is on us in terms of having these great brands that we can nurture. But a big part of that and something that's strategically important for us is being Australian, Australian-made um, and with Australian ingredients, made by Australians. Um, and that competitive advantage for us is really important and investing in Australian manufacturing as we'll continue to do into the future, especially as a standalone business, is something that can really set us apart and really, if you think about Arnott's roots, is very much what we're famous for. And the first bakery that William Arnott started was in New South Wales, in uh, northern New South Wales. So we're, we're going back to that and we're going to continue to leverage that into the future. I love the fact that Arnott still manufactures wholly and solely in Australia. I mean, it's great that you can break those shackles of global comparative advantage and still make it work here because a lot of our manufacturing industries have gone the way of the dinosaur, haven't they? Mm. Um, so, so let's move a bit. The top team at Arnott's has some very experienced executives there. And uh, the thing I'm interested in is how do you maintain your confidence and not be psyched out by a peer group who may be intimidating to a new kid on the block? Mm. Firstly, Marty, let me say I'm really energised and inspired to be on a leadership team with some of FNCC's best executives. It's an incredible experience for me to have. I think for me, my confidence really comes from knowing that on this journey, it's much more than the years of experience that I might have. Uh, and, you know, it takes a little bit to get there, I'll be honest. I think in, in the early times being on this team, there were moments where I felt a little bit uncomfortable and I did feel like the new kid on the block. But you have to lean into that and you have to remind yourself that, yes, I've got a lot to learn. But far out, I've got a lot to give as well. And I think when I switched my focus to that, knowing that I've got as much to do in giving back to the business and to this team, like I said earlier, it's, it's giving but it's also learning. And I think learning is what leadership's about. 
And we've all got things to learn sitting on this leadership team together. So for me, you know, there were those moments where I felt a little bit uncomfortable, but I certainly lent into it. And I, I feel like now the energy and the inspiration, we've all got different skills. We've all got very different leadership styles and we've all had really different experiences. And I think collectively we're going to make a really great, a really great team. Yeah, and part of the um, part of the challenge for the chief executive is to bring all of those um, different skills, capabilities, and backgrounds into a team that maximises all of them and shares them the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's you know one of the core roles of the CEO is to take a, a bunch of rugged individualists and form a team that actually is greater than some of the parts. Just to use that that old cliche. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's great to hear that you're fitting in well there from a mental perspective because it can be daunting. And uh, even the best of us are hit by bouts of uh, imposter syndrome from time to time. So, uh, so, I'm, so I'm glad you're on top of that. It's brilliant. Uh, so just to finish off, you're still relatively young. Uh, well, everyone's relatively young compared to me, but that's okay. Uh, but you've got a big career ahead of you, right? And um, if you could cast your mind forward to your retirement party, what would you like to be able to say you've achieved as a leader over your time in business and your career and what legacy would you like to have left? Well, Marty, my retirement party is definitely a long way off. Uh, but you are slightly freaking me out by asking that question. But I've got <laughs> a long way to go to retirement. Uh, I will say this, Marty. I think in, in FMCG and in industry of fast-moving consumer goods in which I work, um, particularly in sales, there's very few women who sit at the executive level. Um, and, in fact, I'm the first female sales leader that we've had in this business. So I would love to have follow me a set of exceptional women and men who have learned from me on how to lead through authenticity, which I spoke about earlier, being great empathetic leaders and being inspiring for the leaders that follow them. And for me, that would be a fantastic echo to leave behind in any business. Did you say echo? I love that. Echo. Uh, yeah, I, lo- I love that word, you know, listening for echo. So leaving an echo there is, is absolutely the point of what you're doing. Michelle, that's fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And thank you for being so open with our audience and uh, and sharing those thoughts. Uh, you do have a massive career ahead of you. And I, for one, am extremely keen to uh, to watch you grow from strength to strength. So, um, so good luck with everything. And we'll no doubt be talking to each other. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed the chat. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode 129. I really hope you enjoyed those insights from Michelle and they provide you with a useful perspective for your next career transition. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode now with your network of leaders. I look forward to next week's episode counterintuitive truths. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.